This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. Compelled Podcast uses gripping, immersive storytelling to celebrate God's transformation of Christians around the world. Listen to powerful testimonies like Ron Atkins, who at age 19 was sentenced to 500 years in prison. Ron was filled with rage and began leading a white supremacist prison gang. Eventually, Ron became so violent that he was locked up in solitary confinement and told he would stay there until he died. Condemned by society and separated from humanity, Ron knew that he was utterly alone. Or was he? Each story is true, vivid, and told by the one who lived it and saw God work through it. Listen to Compelled on your favorite podcast app or by visiting compelledpodcast.com. Welcome to the Gospel Coalition Podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. On today's episode, you'll hear a talk by Michael Horton on Jesus, our sympathetic high priest. This message was given at TGC's 2021 National Conference. If you have your Bibles, please join me in reading Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. Hebrews 4, beginning at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Friedrich Nietzsche's classic, Thus Spake Zarathustra, Zarathustra, the, really the prophet Zoroaster, Nietzsche was particularly interested in, 
goes around talking to certain characters, and one day he meets this person Nietzsche calls the ugliest man. He is completely destitute. He's naked. He doesn't want people's sympathy. He doesn't want their pity. He hates it when people pity him. And he claimed to have killed God. Here is what he told Zoroaster. He had to die. He looked with eyes which beheld everything. He beheld men's depths and dregs, all his hidden ignominy and ugliness. His pity knew no modesty. He crept into my dirtiest corners. This most prying, over-intrusive, over-pitiful one had to die. He ever beheld me, and on such a witness I would have revenge or not live myself. The God who beheld everything, and also man. That God had to die. Man cannot endure it that such a witness should live. I've heard people who've even grown up in the church say something like this when they walk out on the Christian faith and they no longer believe in God in their hearts. They think they've sort of killed God because it was either deal with a God who knows all of your dirtiest corners and has pity on you or close up, not raise your eyes to heaven, but focus on yourself and what you can do perhaps to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And then there are a lot of Christians who simply say, nobody knows what it's like right now for me. Nobody really knows what it's like to suffer with fill in the blanks. And most of all, God. How can I take these problems to God when God is unchangeable, he is impassable, he is sovereign? He cannot tempt or be tempted. Of all people, how can I take my ugliness to the Father? What would you say to Nietzsche's ugliest man? Well, I think we have an answer here in this passage. Verses one through three have warned the hearers of the sermon that it's true. The word of God cuts through us, through every cell, through every part of our soul. It searches. God does know every dirty little corner in your heart. And on the last day, God's judgment will expose everything. But then in verses 14 through 16, our passage, you have a turn 
from warning to comfort. In Christ, we have a better covenant founded on better promises with a better mediator. We have a great high priest. And it's wonderful, as usual, that the biblical writers break down their sermons into three points. Have you noticed? And so we have three points here. A glorious high priest, a sympathetic high priest, and a gracious high priest. First of all, he's a glorious high priest. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. He's glorious, enthroned in majesty. And so why go back to the types and shadows of the law that, that merely are puffs of smoke compared to the reality, which is Jesus sitting on the throne in the true temple, the true sanctuary, sitting on the throne of judgment, prepared to judge the nations on the last day. We have a glorious high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. We have a sympathetic high priest. We're family. Brothers and sisters, it's something he emphasized in chapter two. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Jesus did not take his humanity from heaven. Jesus did not merely appear to be a human being. He didn't put it on like a spacesuit. Rather, he had the Virgin Mary's DNA. He partook of our human nature. This changes the whole game of can I take my questions and my suffering and my pain and my sorrows to God. We are united with the God-man in a common humanity. And that means... It's not immodest pity, it's sympathy that he has for us. For he knows exactly what it's like to be tempted as we are. There is that phrase two times, the according to everything. According to everything except sin. Sometimes we think, well, he had to have assumed a sinful nature, right, in order to fully assume humanity, but that's not true. There's nothing inherently, naturally, essentially sinful about human nature. Human nature has been corrupted. But Jesus was, was born without that corruption. Fully human. Not only that, it's not that minus, just without sin. He was more human than we are. In the sense that he actually said, here I am to the Father while we were running in the garden stitching together fig leaves to cover our nakedness. In fact, the holiest man, the most beautiful man who ever lived experienced temptation more than you and I ever will. For someone who was holy, and I'm not talking just because he was divine, so holy in his human nature, so carried out his task and his calling in that nature, to suffer real temptations like the ones we face every day. Real temptations to sin. Must have been the most horrible experience up to Golgotha.
He is not naive. He's not a stoic who presumably lives above all passions. It's just that he spent his, his whole life turning away from temptation to turn to his father in passionate love and service. United in common temptation, pride and power, wealth and glory. That's what was promised in the temptation when the devil tried to get Jesus to seize his throne of glory instead of embrace his throne of the cross. Or fear, even just before he's about to raise Lazarus. Jesus weeps. He's horrified as he looks death in the face or Gethsemane, Lord, Father, if it is possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Abuse and shame. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I thirst. Mockery, crown of thorns. Loneliness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet without sin. Yet without sin. The most beautiful man didn't just pity the ugliest man. He sympathizes with him. Jesus gets it. He is without sin for two reasons. First of all, as a priest in sacrifice, a lamb without blemish, but also in his act of obedience. Not only without sin, but perfectly obedient, as the writer says later, made perfect by his obedience. And that was for us. And so, to pride and power, he answered servanthood to God and to us. To glory, he said, no, I'll take the cross. To fear, he said, no, I will trust. To poverty and sickness and the, the discouragement that that brings, he restored life and hope to others. And as for loneliness, he created a new community with himself as the vine and his brothers and sisters as the branches. In response to abuse and shame, he responded with sympathy, mercy, and justice. And that's why we have confidence, confidence to come to the throne of grace. Other religions don't have this. You remember Job saying, if only I had an advocate, a go-between. Well, you don't have that in Islam. One writer who converted from Roman Catholicism to Islam says, I was always terrified by the apparent danger of seeing God in human form. In Islam, there's a problem which is the opposite of this because a person is alone before God. There is nothing they can hold on to in experiencing this solitude before the absolute 
can sometimes be difficult. You cannot hold on to Muhammad because supplicating to him or asking for anything from him is prohibited. Muslims think that Allah's divinity is so great that even though the prophet is a lofty person, he is far from being as divine as Allah. People can never pray to the prophet or ask anything from him or anyone else. In true Islam, there is no mediator between Allah and the servants. It is Christ's stature, not his nature, that has changed. He has now been exalted to the right hand of the Father. This one who suffered and was tempted just like us is the one who will judge the world on the last day. And that leads to the third and final point very briefly, a gracious high priest. Notes how verse 14 begins, and again in verse 15, since the, the, then we have... It's, an, it's an emphatic phrase. Since then we have. Since then we have. We have Jesus. Because the Son became flesh, God became haveable for you and for me. We can have God incarnate. We have a gracious high priest. Therefore, he says, hold fast our confession and draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. He doesn't say, well, you know, come anyway, God's pretty nice. He'll probably be okay with it. Doesn't say, well, you know, there's a room over here you can go to and kind of work things, work things out for a while and I think he'll, he'll take notice of that. No, he's, how do you come to God? How does the ugliest man possibly come to God? The only way he can come to God is with his sins. And he comes not to a throne of glory, which it will be one day. He comes to a throne of grace to receive help in time of need. John Calvin said the ground of this assurance is that the throne of God is not arrayed in naked majesty and glory to confound us, but is adorned with a new name, even that of grace, which ought ever to be remembered whenever we shun the presence of God. For the glory of God, the glory of God, when we contemplate it, by itself can produce nothing other than fear and despair. So awful is that throne. So he allures us by draping grace like a banner across his throne. That's what I want to tell the ugliest man that I am and that you are and that everyone in the world is. And praise God that Jesus became for us. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we are amazed by your glory and even more by your grace and mercy. We thank you for draping that banner 
of grace and mercy across the throne that we feared. Help all of us, participants in Adam, sharing in that life of the ugliest man. Help us to trust you, to turn from fear, and to come with confidence, laying hold of the one we are able to lay hold of and have. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. Check out more gospel-centered resources at thegospelcoalition.org.